is that really in the Bible? You live in a world where everyone has an opinion about the Bible. Of what values are your beliefs if they are not clearly found in the pages of your Bible? The question we must ask is, are your opinions and beliefs really found in the Bible? Well, hello, I'm David Freeman with Is That Really in the Bible? Question, did Jesus have a mega church? Did Jesus set out to build a mega church? Now, what is a mega church? Well, a mega church is, uh, you know, ranging between 2,000 people that show up for attendance every weekend to up to 50,000 uh, people that can attend on a regular basis. So that, that's what you call a mega church. Now, example of a mega church, a Lakewood church in Houston has about 43,500 weekly visitors. That's Joel Olstein, whose sermons are, are televised, and he is the minister there. Now, we're living in the era of the mega church. Uh, the United States has more than 1,500 megachurches, according to the Hartford Institute for Religious Research. And that research also finds roughly 90 churches across the U.S. have a weekly attendance between 10 to 44,000 people. That's a lot. So what we're dealing with today is the question, did Jesus Christ have a mega church? Did he have a, a mega following? Was his desire concerning his church to build a mega church? Now, the day came when Jesus fed 5,000 people. Now, 5,000 people, that's a lot of people. You might say that's a, a mega, uh, a mega following of 5,000 people. And he did this miracle of multiplying bread and fish. You might call this a mega following. 5,000 people, that's a lot of people. And these people were seeking Jesus. And Jesus said this to these people. John 6 and verse 26. Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. In other words, you're following me not because of the miracles, but because you got your belly full. Now, if you think about that, to say that to your following of 5,000 people, that's sort of an insult, is it not? I mean, if you're, if you're building a megachurch, you don't question their motives. In fact, you don't really care what their motives are. Uh, and you sure don't tell your following your, your motives are wrong. You're following me for all the wrong reasons. You just don't do that. I mean, if you're building a megachurch, you basically don't care why they are following you. It's simple mathematics. The bigger the mega, the larger the donations will be. You got me on that one. Okay, you understand. All right, good. So Jesus continues to push the envelope, though. He begins to teach things that were beyond his followers' comprehension to even understand. He begins to say some bizarre things that really turn people off. It was almost as if he was deliberately testing his followers. It was almost as if he was deliberately putting a wedge 
a deliberate wedge between him and his followers. Well, let's, let's continue reading on. John 6 and verse 53. Then Jesus said to them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whosoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. Now you have to admit, this is a hard saying for any, anybody to really follow, and it's really only hindsight 2020 that, that people can even begin to understand what Jesus was talking about. You know, uh, surely the audience he was talking to at that time did not really get it. Now, what's he's, what is he referring to here is the symbols of the Passover and the new covenant he would make with his disciples. It is symbolic. The little wine, thimble of wine that you take represents Christ's blood. The little piece of unleavened bread represents his body that was broken for us. And that's the symbols of what Jesus was referring to here. The wine and the bread does not literally become Christ's blood or Christ's body. I mean, that's ridiculous to even suggest that. But what Paul just is, describes here, he gives a better explanation of what Jesus was uh, actually referring to here. In 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 23, he says, For I have received of the Lord that which I also deliver unto you. Now, notice this. I got this directly from Christ Jesus. Okay? So what did Paul get? All right, let's read on. That the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner, he also took the cup, and when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. So, when Jesus said, Whosoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day, this is precisely what he was referring to. Okay, so he continues on, though. In John 6 and verse 56, He that eateth my flesh and drinks my blood dwells in me, and I in him. As the living Father has sent me, and I live by the Father, so that he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead, he that eats of this bread shall live forever. So let's notice the response. What is the response to this kind of hard, straightforward teaching here? How did they respond? Did the masses say, yes, we've got to follow this guy everywhere he goes? So, well, what was the response? Okay, well, let's take a look at the response. John 6 and verse 60. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying who can hear it. So I got this mega following of 5,000 people. And let's see how much we can trim it down. Let's see how small we can make it. All right? John 6 and verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Now, it doesn't say how many disciples that Jesus had a total of. Now, we know he had the 12 disciples, but he had many more disciples than that. And it, it really doesn't tell. 
But it does say many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. John 6 and verse 67, then Jesus said unto the twelve, will you also go away? I mean, consider this. I mean, are you impressed with megachurches? Are you impressed with the size of your own church? Do you ride around and look and say, wow, God must be blessing that church. Look how big it is. It's got a coffee shop in it. It's got a bowling alley, whatever. You know, I'm just impressed with this big church. There's 44,000 people that show up every Sunday morning or whatever. Now, here we have Jesus with a mega following, and he's able to cut it down to uh, what? About 12 people? John 6 and verse 68, Then Simon Peter said to him, O Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Now, let me ask you a question. Would you go to a church that had only 12 people attending? Would you even show up to a church that had only 12 people? Would you go to a, not a mega church, a small church? Now, let me tell you why you like a mega church, big churches. It's a word called, and this is the number one reason people choose mega churches. It's, it's a word called anonymity. Anonymity. It is your ability to sort of sneak in there, because there's so many people, okay, to sneak in there and sneak out without anybody seeing you or recognizing you. Now, you can't do that in a church of 12 people. You know, I mean, they're all going to get, they're going to recognize that you're new and they're going to shake your hand and they're going to get to know you and they're going to meet you. You cannot sneak in and sneak out of a church of only 12 people. So the reason, one of the number one reasons people like, besides parking and besides daycare center, you know, one of the big reasons people like big churches is because of anonymity, their ability to sneak in, sneak out without being noticed. Yes. So did Jesus have a mega church? Let's take a look at Luke 12 and verse 32. Jesus speaking to his church, to his disciples. Fear not mega church, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. No, wait a minute. I read that wrong. I inserted words that were not in there. Okay, Luke 12 and verse 32. Fear not little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Why? Why did Jesus refer to his church as a little flock? Not a mega church. Not a mega church. Not a church of 45,000 people showing up every weekend. No. Jesus referred to his church as a mega church. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, okay, it started out as a small church. But over 2,000 years, it became a mega church, a universal, yes, universal church. Mm -hmm. The problem with that thinking is we come all the way to the, where Jesus is referencing the end time, and he says this in Matthew 7 and verse 22. He says, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? And in your name cast out devils, and in your name done many wonderful works. Now, now, consider, Jesus does not deny that they didn't do good. He's not denying the good works. He says, you've done many good works. You've had inspired preaching. 
Okay? Uh, that's where the preacher is up there and the people in the audience are weeping because of what the man is saying. You've cast out devils. And that's, you know, that's pretty impressive, I think, you know, casting out demons. And you've done many wonderful work. You had good works. You had soup kitchens for the poor. You had unwed mother ministries. You had divorcees ministries. You had all kinds of ministries where you reached out to the community. You reached out to help the poor. You reached out and done many wonderful works. Jesus does not deny that they have done many wonderful works. But he says this in Matthew 7, verse 23. Then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Now why? why? Well, how could Jesus say, I didn't know you? How can you do that kind of great work? Inspired preaching, miracles, what seems like miracles, maybe healing the sick, I don't know. Casting out demons, what? okay. Soup kitchens for the poor. How, how can you do all that? As an organization, as a church, how can you be involved in that kind of activity and have Jesus say to you, I don't know you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. Now, the word iniquity is just that it's, it's a no law theology. They had religion. Yes, they had religion with many good works. They had religion without obedience to God's law. Okay. So after the separation, Jesus' church is still small. It's not a megachurch. It's not a megachurch. So why do so many megachurches exist today? Well, I'll tell you why. Because man desires a relationship with God built on his own terms. And often his own terms is a no-law theology without obedience to his word, to his law. That's, that's my own terms. Yes, I want a relationship with you. I will do wonderful works. We'll get involved in activity of the community and, and doing all kinds of wonderful works. But it's got to be on my terms. You know, and that word obedience, you know, that, that's people cringe when they hear that word. They say, yeah, you know, that's works. That's uh, works of the law. We can't have any obedience. I mean, you, you talk about obedience and it's almost like you're talking about sin or something. I mean, it's just people can't take it. So, did Jesus, Jesus build a megachurch? Now, in Luke 8 and verse 4, people kept coming to Jesus from one town to, a, to another. And when a great crowd gathered, Jesus told this parable. Now, I want to talk a minute about parables. You've been taught a lie all of your life that Jesus spoke in parables to make it simpler, to make it easier to understand. No, you've been lied to about the Bible. That's not the reason Jesus spoke in parables. Okay, let's take a look at Luke 8 and verse 5. Once there was a man who went out to sow grain, and he scattered the seed in the field, and some fell among the path where it was stepped on. Some of it fell on rocky ground. Some of it seeds fell among thorns and bushes, and some of it fell on good ground. Now, there's, there's four kinds of soil here, and we just do some simple mathematics. We say, okay, four souls uh, out of 100%, each type represents 25%. And so when it's all said and done, only 25% represents the good soul that takes root and that grows and bears fruit, 25%. Now, does 25% sound like a mega church to you? Does that sound like a mega church? Now, don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. I'm going to tell you at the end of this program what happens to the other 75%, and you're going to be shocked. 
It's good news. It's great news. No, they're not lost and doomed for hell. They're burned for all eternity in hell. No, I'm going to tell you about what happens to the other 75%. It's good news. It's good. It's great news. It's the good news. It's the good news of the gospel. So the purpose of the parable was actually, instead of making it, you know, you've been taught, okay, it was to make it clear, it was to make it uh, easier to understand. That's not the reason. The parable was like a riddle. You had to figure it out. And most people did not get it. And the disciples knew that when Jesus spoke in parables that, that the people, the 5,000, they weren't getting it, okay? And so they had this question in Matthew 13 and verse 10. It says, and, and the disciples came unto him and said unto him, why, why are you speaking to them in parables? They're not getting it. He answered and said to them, because it is given to you, yes, you 12, to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, to them, but to them, it's not given. Wait a minute. It's not given. How can that be? It's not given to the masses. It's not given to the multitude. It's not given to the, the megachurch. That's 75%. It's not given to. How could this be? I thought God was desperately, that there's this tug of war going on, that, that God was desperately trying to get everybody saved and that the devil was desperately trying to get everybody lost. And, and I, I thought, you know, how can this be? How could Jesus be so lackadaisical about this issue and just say, well, it's not given to them to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. It's just not given. It's not given to the 75%. How? How could Jesus say that? Well, let's continue on and look at what Jesus said. Matthew 13, verse 13. Therefore, I speak to them in the parables. This is why I'm speaking to them in parables. This is why I'm going to explain to you why I'm speaking to them in, in parables. Because they seeing, see not. Jesus knew this, you see. He knew they were spiritually blind. And hearing they hear not, he knew they were spiritually deaf. Neither do they understand. He knew their minds couldn't get it. I speak to them in parables because 75% are not going to get it. They're not planted in the right soil, let's say. And it's often it's not even their own fault. It's not even their fault. It's a, often it's religious deception that keeps them from being planted in the right kind of soil. You see, Matthew 13 and verse 15. For these people's heart is wax gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. Lest at any time I, they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them. Okay. Who is Jesus talking? He's talking about the 75%. He says, look, their heart is wax gross. Their ears are dull of hearing. Their eyes they have closed. That's 75%. But blessed. Notice this. Matthew 13 and verse 16. But blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. He was speaking to the 12, 12 disciples, okay? That's the 25% that God is now working with, okay? Now, let me ask you a question. Does any of this sound like Jesus is building a mega church? Does this sound like he had a mega following? Well, I admit he did have a big following, but he managed to cut it down. He managed to cut it down. Why? Why? Why did Jesus refer to his church as a little flock? That's Luke 12 and verse 32. Why? Well, I want to look at another issue here, another reason why. It's the story of the rich man and Lazarus, and it's at the end 
at the end, the last, you know, the verse here, uh, Luke 16 and verse 30. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they would repent. You know, this guy was worried about, you know, his family members, his loved ones. And he said, look, you know, they, they, they're not responding to anything. And I know what would work. I know what would work on my family member. If, 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 if someone from the dead came back to life, they would listen. Now, let me ask you a question. What do you think it would take to get your loved one's attention? Well, maybe if someone was resurrected from the dead and spoke to him about the gospel, that would work. And Luke's, Jesus said, Luke 16, verse 31, and he said to them, said to him, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither would they be persuaded the one rose from the dead. This passage is absolutely amazing. Jesus did not say, if they won't hear me. He didn't say that. He points back to the Old Testament prophet and the law of God if they will not hear that, then they're not going to hear me. Now, let me ask you a question. How many Christians do you know who pay no attention to the Old Testament? How many churches could you go to who would never even open it up? I mean, they wouldn't even blow the dust off their Bible as far as Old Testament is concerned. You know, they only preach from the New Testament. And Jesus comes along and says, no, no, no. He points back and he says, now, it's, it's not about hearing me. He didn't say if they won't hear me. He said if they won't hear Moses and the prophets, they're not going to hear me. Okay? All right, we're talking about the 25% who will hear, who, who do look back to the Old Testament prophets and the law. And we're talking about the 75% who don't. Okay? And that's the majority of, I would say, probably religious people. Now, James 1 and verse 18 it says, of his own will begot he us with the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. God is now only calling a first fruit unto salvation. He's not calling everybody right now. Now, I know that's hard for some people to wrap their mind around, but it should be obvious when you look at our world that is going to hell, our world where people don't even give a rip about religion, in other words, we will be the first fruits. Those that God is calling will be the first fruits from the dead at Christ's return. That's the 25%. It's what's referred to as the first resurrection. The rest of the dead. Now, I talked about there's good news for the 75% that God is not working with right now. It's found in Revelation 20 and verse 5. It says, but the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. So you have the first resurrection. That's the 25%. Then you have the rest of the dead, and that's the other 75%. Now, here's what you've got to understand. Jesus put it like this. He said, no man can come to me unless the Father draw him. It's impossible. It's impo unless God is drawing, unless God is calling that person now, they can't. you can talk to that person until you're blue in the face about God, about religion, and if God is not calling that person, they cannot come at this time. All those who cannot come to God now, and there are actually billions down through history, will be able to come to God when the rest of the dead are raised. So did Jesus have a megachurch? Did Jesus say he would build a megachurch? No, 
Jesus referred to his church as little flock. It's the 25%. Now, I want to offer you a booklet here entitled, If God So Loved the World, Why Are So Many People Going to Hell? This is one of the most encouraging, inspiring books you will ever read. And I want to tell you why. It answers the question that one of the disciples asked Jesus as he looked around at his world. And he said, Lord, are there few that be saved? You know, maybe you've asked that question before. As you look at the lack of response, as you look at loved ones and family members in the world, like I said, that's going to hell and don't care about religion as rejecting God in all categories of their lives. Are there few that be saved? This booklet will answer that question. It's one of the most powerful booklets you will, you will be inspired, you will be encouraged beyond your imagination if you order this booklet. It's free of charge, order it today. I'm David Freeman with Is That Really in the Bible? Sometimes learning more about God is simply unlearning what someone else has told you about God. So in order to develop a deeper relationship with God, you must unlearn what you have learned. Only about a third of the world's population claim to be Christian, and the numbers are falling. If Christianity is getting smaller, that can only mean hell is getting larger. Does this really mean that God will consign at least 60% of humanity to a never-ending burning hell when they die? Is this really the action of a just and merciful God? The common teaching of hell is really a mistaken tradition that has replaced what the Bible actually reveals about life, death, and God's plan of salvation. It has extinguished the real hope that God offers for everyone who has ever lived. There are simple biblical truths that open up new avenues of understanding about how God treats everyone with respect and justice. Sixty percent of humanity is not going to be tormented forever in a burning hell fire. Order your free book entitled, If God So Loved the World, Why Are So Many People Going to Hell? Order by writing to Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. That's Church of God Rocky Mount, 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. Also, visit us on the web at isthatreallyinthebible.net. For more information, check us out online at isthatreallyinthebible.net. Listen to the podcast. Watch the weekly program, worship with us on our weekly Sabbath service, and be sure to visit our free bookstore. Again, the website is isthatreallyinthebible.net.